Thank you for downloading the Sunday morning sermon at Paragon Church on Sunday, September 15th. Our mission, vision, values. For more information about Paragon Church, please visit paragonchurch.com. Guys, thanks so much for being part of our 9 o'clock service this morning, being here with us. And last week, if you were with us, we kicked off our mission, vision, values. And we talked about our mission and our vision and our values, and we said we're going to talk about it for the church, but the first thing we needed to do is we needed to talk about it as individuals. What is the mission for our life? What is the vision for our life? And what values do we hold on to for those things? And really what we started to look at is what is a vision, what is a mission, and what are our values? And so we, we broke it down just with a quick definition, and the quick definition would go this way. Our vision is where we're headed. Our vision is where we're headed, or at least where we want to be headed. It is, is what we see. Our mission is how we get there. Our mission is now. Our vision is tomorrow. Our mission is now. So how do we get there with our vision? And then our values are how we operate within the vision and the mission. How we, how we make sure that we, it's our guide to how we operate, how we take those next steps. And then actually we tossed in another word last week of purpose. And purpose is basically this. You want to add it in, it's why we exist. What is our purpose? And if you were with us last week, I said, just hold on to one thought for me. One thought throughout the week, and that one thought throughout the week was this, is that God's purpose for God's people is Christ-likeness. God's purpose for God's people is Christ-likeness. It's for us to be more like Christ. And if we're going to call ourselves Christians, and if we're going to call ourselves followers of Christ, we should be what the word actually means. And if you know what the word Christian means, it was actually a derogatory term at, at the beginning to call somebody a little Christ. You're just a little Christ. And so, you know, I think in the two years, just I'm just going to interrupt myself for just a second. In the two years we've been doing this in this building, I've never heard the rain actually hit the roof before. This is awesome. Uh, so, hey, good morning, by the way. And, and so, you know, as we say, we want to be little Christ. We want to be like him. We started mentioning some attributes. And above all the attributes there are out there, we mentioned four of them. And in the four of them that we had, we talked about love. We talked about mission. We talked about our, our um, going back to it, going back to the fact we talked about service, and we talked about humility. And so those four things were the big ones we talked about. And as if you were here with us last week, I have to say something as a bit of an apology from last week. Because last week as I talked, I talked about humility first. And I talked about having this humble attitude, but then I talked about service. And if you were with us, I started kind of going on a bit of a side tangent with service. And I listened back to my messages during the week before I put them online, before I put them on YouTube. And as I listened back, I heard myself not being humble or loving as I laid out the fact we need to have serving people within the church. And, and that our natural bent is be, should be to serve as we become more like Christ. So I need to do something today say I struck out twice last week in that ability to say, hey, here's who we are. So instead of kind of taking the negative approach to it, I just want to take just a second and take a positive approach to it. And I want to say thank you to those who do serve. 
to those who do get back there and get dirty and get their hands involved with our kids and really pour into that Paragon Next ministry. And you'll see the t-shirts around and you'll see that, all the different things. But man, it is so great to say and see people invest their time and see people to invest their energy. And even some of our workers, at least I know that you do, you invest your money into it to say, I am going to make sure these kids are being taught and learning and doing the things that are necessary there. So I want to say thank you to them especially. So if you see somebody with the Paragon next year, say thank you to them. And, and thank you especially to Christy, who is right here, because she is the one. Uh, uh, yeah, you can say thank you to Christy. She is the one that puts it all together as well as Bianca. Now, Bianca's back in the back room right now. I told her, hey, if you want to swing on out here so everybody can see you. Because I actually had somebody come to me this week, and they said, hey, you talked about serving. And you said, go talk to Kathy Cuddy. And, and that way, uh, we, but we don't know who Kathy Cuddy is. I said, well, we don't have a Kathy Cuddy. We have a Christy Cuddy, and she's right here. So if you guys want to talk to her about serving and getting involved in that area, please do that. But I do want to say thank you to those who serve at our church, our nursery workers, our children's workers, our youth workers. I, I want to say thank you to our, our connection group leaders and our, and our worship team members. You know, I, I don't think we understand oftentimes how much time and effort and even money that takes and you know jerome leads a great team i'm not sure how many other churches you've been to but there's some that that really struggle with music we just struggle with the preaching on this side so you know we're, we're going to get there eventually though i promise okay but right now i mean we have a great team that is up here and, and it takes so much in our women's ministry and our men's ministry and our special needs helper the list really goes on even to the people who clean and do those kind of th i mean all the things they get the vision they get why we do what we do. They are doing exactly what we're all about, the vision of the church, the mission of the church, and the values. And, and, you know, one of the great things, if you have a second, can you grab a bulletin over there if you haven't got one already in your Bible? Or if you don't want to stand up and you're technologically advanced and you can just go to paragonchurch.com on your phone, you could do that. Or if you don't want to move and you're not technologically advanced, I'm going to throw them up here on the screen for you, okay? Because I just, I understand that mentality. But... Here's the thing, I want us to see, because on, on the front of our bulletins and in our website, you're going to see the vision of the church, and you're going to see the mission of the church. And i just like to, to share it with you just real quick. It says, by 2025, we want to be a church that engages, encourages, and equips at least 500 people to take their next steps in their faith journey with Jesus Christ. That is what we want. You know, without vision, the people perish. Without vision, the people walk around under strain. We want to have a purpose for the next five years. It's crazy that to say that 2025 is only five years away. But we want to see 500 people. And guess what? It starts with the, the 100, 150 that are in here on any Sunday morning. And it starts with them, and then they are equipped to go out and share with others. And, and we're going to see this over the next five years, that we're truly engaging and truly equipping and truly encouraging people to take that next step. How are we going to do it? Well, that's the mission part of it all. We're going to passionately connect people with God. We're going to passionately connect people with God. Because I, I truly think that if, if you're not passionate about who God is, then you're probably not going to share it passionately. And then somebody's like, well, why should I add that to my list of all the other things I have to do until they truly see who God is? We're going to passionately connect people with God and encourage them in those next steps. We're going to come alongside them in those next steps. But once again, the question of how. How are we going to do that? Well, as a church, first and foremost, we're going to commit ourselves to Jesus Christ 
his great commandment, and his great commission. That's what our five core values are built off of. We'll be completely dependent on the Holy Spirit because guess what? Even as we talked about last week, we can't do this on our own. I'd like to try and do it on my own energy. I just don't have it. We need the Holy Spirit. We'll fully engage with God and intentionally engage with others. You know what it means to engage? Anybody here ever drive a manual transmission before? When you're in neutral, you're not going anywhere, but when you engage, you push in the clutch and you put it in gear, you're going. You have to be engaged. Those gears have to come together. We need to engage with God and then engage with others. That's why our connection groups are so important. We'll commit ourselves to excellence in serving, evangelizing, discipling, connecting, worship, and prayer. Not sure if you're aware, but that's our five core values. We'll be committed to that. If we can be committed to that over the next five years, who knows what God can do? We'll encourage people in their next steps with Jesus through all aspects of ministry. And what are those next steps? Well, it starts with salvation. It starts with meeting Jesus. And we're going to encourage people in that way. And then we're going to ask them to take that next step of baptism. Like we said, we have this big celebration planned for the 20th. I'm so excited about it. I hope that you are as well. And then we're going to see about discipleship. We're going to see about evangelism. We're going to see about service. Because one thing I think I failed to do last week is I failed to say that as we're becoming Christ-like, it's a process. It's not like yesterday you accepted Jesus and then today you're like, oh, you know, Billy Graham. It's not going to happen. I, I'm still a work in progress. You're still a work in progress, and we'll be a work in progress until the day that we die. God is sanctifying us. That's the word that we use in big Christian terms, sanctification. He's changing us into who he wants us to be. It is a process. And how are we going to do that? How are we going to see people in that sanctification process? Well, this is one of the things that I see as a big part of my job, big part of my calling to be a pastor, to be an elder, to be a teacher. I see it as a big part of Jerome's job. I see it a big part of our, our, our elders, both Ken and, and Bob. Uh, I see it as a big part of our Christian ministry leaders to be helping and engaging and equipping. But you know who else I see it a big part of? I see a big part of you. Us, together, because we are family. I'm not sure if you've noticed that we've talked about that a lot lately, but we are family. We are a body. We are a community. We are a team. And any one of those organizations I just mentioned they have to have the right people in the right place to function the right way. And God has called us together, you with your gifts, me with my gifts, and us working together to see his glory revealed. What I would love for you to do for me today is, if you have your Bibles with you, go to Ephesians chapter 4 for me. Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to see some of the calling that has been given to us by God to carry out really these next steps, really the purpose of the church. And, and I'm going to give you a little backstory in the book of Ephesians. It was written to a church that was really in the middle of division. On one hand, you had Jewish converts that began following Christ. Well, the Jewish converts had been religious people their entire lives. They had at least a moral compass. They thought they were doing right by doing the right things. They found out it's not about what you do, about, it's instead it's about what Christ has already done. So that was a change for them. Then on the other side of the church, you had the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were also referred to as pagans. And the pagans were people who had no religious background and had lived their entire life for sinful pleasure. And in that, you had them both get saved by Jesus Christ. Isn't God an amazing God that he can save both of those from themselves and bring them unto himself? But the problem was is that there was some tension of, well, you used to, and you used to. And, and Paul had to kind of clarify with that. and said, guys, it's not about what you used to. It's about what God did and what God is still doing. 
And so what we begin to see is that they're struggling with togetherness, and they're struggling with teamwork and being the church. They're struggling with the fact that God, the coach, had brought all of these teammates together and how they came together and what their purpose was and what their mission was and where their vision was and where they were going. They were struggling with that. It's like, why do we exist? What are we here for? Those people don't like those people, and Paul had to bring them together. And so when we understand where we're going, it helps us by 2025 get that goal done. I can guarantee that last week when football had got going, that people all thought their team was going to win the Super Bowl. And then half of them watched it and went, eh, maybe not. Sorry, Browns fans. That was a pathetic display last week. And the reality is, is that we have this goal in mind, and that's why we come together as a team. And that's why we had these individual players taken to make up this big body. And so began to see that, and they, they were struggling with the idea of where they were going. So he lays out why they were a team and why they were uh, really uh, called together. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 4, you're going to see the first word there is the word, therefore. Therefore. Because what he's doing is, is really Ephesians was written in two sections. It's six chapters long. If you have time this week, read it. One chapter a day. Monday through Saturday, we'll come back together because we're going to talk more about Ephesians 4 next week as we talk about communion. But as we begin to, to look at it, you're going to see in the first three chapters, God is giving the why. Paul is being spoken to by the Holy Spirit and really breaking down that you're chosen by God, that you're adopted as sons and daughters of God, that you're brought near to the Father through His Son, all people of faith. No matter who they used to be, now are a part of the family. And he uses the word therefore because chapters 4 through 6 is our response to chapters 1 through 3. This is what God has done, therefore this is how we should respond. The gospel stories in 1 through 3, our response to the gospel stories in 4 through 6. That's why the word therefore is there. Because he says, because of this, this is what we need to do. So pick up with me if you would, starting in verse 1 of chapter 4. And as I read it, I want you to see the purpose of the church. Because you're going to hear it in here, you're going to see that the, there's a, a big first step. And that big first step to see the purpose take place is to have unity within it, to have unity within the church. Because if we're not unified in the goals, and we're not unified in the purpose, and we're not unified in the end result, that vision, it's going to be a mess. So unity is where it starts, and that's why he says this, therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord. Notice he doesn't say in Rome, he says in the Lord, though he was a prisoner at the time as he wrote this. I urge you to live every day worthy of the calling. What calling is that? It's a calling of salvation. It's a calling to a new life. And it's the calling that Jesus laid out for us so many different times that we talked about last week. Calling to die to yourself. Live out this calling. God, because of all he did in one through three, we want you to live worthy of that calling. In chapters one through three, this is who he made you to be. Now live it that way. And how are you going to live it that way? How should we live out that calling? Well, verse two says, with all humility... It's a word we talked about last week. Gentleness with patience and bearing with one another in love. Now, there's two things here as we reflect back on the idea of what we talked about last week, that Christ-likeness. 
We need to have these things in our life. God's purpose for God's people is Christ-likeness. And we need to have humility in our life. And we need to have love in our life. And we need to be on mission. And we need to be in service. But how does that affect the unity? And how does that take a step? Well, why do we need these qualities for a bunch of people in a church that aren't like us at all? Because you need them for a bunch of people in the church that are not like us at all. I mean, because you guys are different than me. And I'm different than you. And you guys are all different amongst each other. And guess what? Because of the differences, it's easy to pick out those things, and that's when it becomes this issue. When people come to me and say, well, I'm looking for this specific church and this specific thing, and I want this perfect thing. And I said, don't go to a perfect church. You know why? Because you're going to ruin it when you get there. Because there is no perfect church. We have to work on unity and working together. And so Paul is laying it out there and saying, how are you going to have unity? Well, first it starts with humility. When we measure ourselves to the standard of Christ, it's going to humble yourself pretty quickly and realize that everybody is fallen and that he is the one who gets the glory, not us. Second is gentleness, because you need to have a spirit of submission to God to say, God, you have me here for a reason to do these things, and I can't get in the way of that. Then bearing with one another. I love that part. Because you know what it means to bear with one another? It means that, yeah, you got to put up with them. It means this whole thing, this whole unity thing, isn't going to just come naturally. It's not going to be a cakewalk. It's not going to be something that we have to just let it roll. We have to make room for others' mistakes. We have to make room for our own mistakes. We have to make room for those who might hurt us or might even offend us. Or I learned a new word this week. It's trigger because we're not offended. We're triggered. And, and so maybe there's somebody in the church that's going to trigger you, and we have to work on that unity in that. As a matter of fact, the next verse, verse 3, says, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Making every effort. It's going to take work. It's going to take us doing something. It's going to take us laying down our sides. And sometimes it's going to be a really hard work. And once again, like I said, it's a process. And you know what that process is going to involve? Those key words that are in our mission and our vision. Next steps. Sanctification growing, moving in the right direction. The more we become like Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit, the more able we're going to be able to keep that unity of the Spirit. You know why? Because the focus will no longer be on us. We'll begin to see Christ for who He is. As we have a closer relationship with Him, it's going to change things. Because guess what? In the beginning when God created, He created a perfect unity that was there. Sin came up and jacked up the process. And it did it for us, between us and him, and it did it for us between me and you. So as we become more like Christ, as we focus less on sin and more on him, it's going to change our perspective and help us understand that. And that's where that peace will come from. You know, people want peace in the world, but there is no peace without Jesus. And there is no peace without being more like Jesus. That's when he says this in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. There's one word that stuck out through that passage. Did you see what it was? One. 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 Unity. You know, some of the greatest divisions in Christianity, some of the greatest disunity in Christianity is about things that really don't matter. That's hard for me sometimes. Jerome, somehow or another this week, uh, came across a Twitter feed of churches 
video of them just ripping other churches and yelling at other churches and yelling at other pastors and other people that go to that church because they don't use the same translation of Bible. Or they, they don't dress the same. Or they're not singing the right songs like hymns versus modern worship, whenever it might be. And there's like, well, bad, 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 bad. I'm like, hey, do me a favor. Instead of worrying about everybody else, just preach Jesus let him be the one that drives what we do and why we do it instead of you saying that you're bad if you don't. or don't. Let him be the one that transforms us and changes us. Because the thing that should be first and foremost unifying about us is our belief in God, our study of God, our knowledge of God, our theology. Not all the secondary things, but our theology. Who is God? What we believe based on scriptures on who God is. Because what we believe about God really matters. It's going to affect the way we live. It's going to affect the way that we evangelize. It's going to affect the way that we disciple. It's going to affect the way that we connect. It's going to affect the way that we minister. And it's going to affect the way that we worship. If we see God for who he truly is, those things are going to be really important in our life. But if God is just some secondary that doesn't matter that much, it's just not going to happen. We're not going to care. Everything else is going to be more important. So why would we bother evangelizing or discipling or worshiping even? Why come together and worship? Why, read, why do those things? See, Paul lays it all out right here. As we look at these core values, what we believe about God, how it affects everything that we do, he says, you have a seven-stranded rope that really is the thing that we need to hold on to, really the thing that needs to bind us together. And the first strand of that is we are one body. We are one body. We are one. And as I look at that word body, I think to myself, you know, this body generally works all right. I was praising God this morning because I woke up and I stood up and I was able to breathe. Okay, those are things that sometimes we forget. Not everybody gets to do that today. I am one body, and this body, though it doesn't function perfectly, it's functioning pretty all right for me to be up here today. A lot of times I think that we think the church is kind of like one of those tassels that's on the end of your handlebars when you were a little kid that waved in the wind, that there was a central knot, and that was God, and everything else was just what was whipping around out there. That's not the way it works. We are one body working together. And so we have to see that. The second thing is, is we're one spirit, where the power comes from. He's the one that brings us together and holds us together. That spirit and that power, he's the one that brings the peace and the unity. Then it says we have one hope. You know what that one hope is? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. This is where we want to be like him and we want to be with him. He is our hope. He is our future. He is our everything. God's purpose for God's people is Christ-likeness. And it's our only hope. Sorry, Ben Kenobi. This is it. Thank you for the two that got that. But we'll move on from there. Then there's one Lord. One Lord. Jesus Christ, once again. He is the Lord of all. He is one Lord. See, there's one Lord that's in charge. Period. If there are multiple Lords and everybody's in charge... Well, guess what? Then nobody's charged, and that's where we see disunity. That's where we see all the things. As we'll see in this passage, we're to grow up into the head that is Christ. And that's when we start to see that lack of unity. If we're not, though, lack of vision, lack of mission, lack of values, who are we following? Who are we living for? Who are we dying for? 
Without Christ saying one Lord, that changes everything. As a matter of fact, Romans 14, 7 through 9, it's not up on the screen, but I'll just read it for you. It says, for none of us live for himself, and no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and returned to life for this, that he might be Lord over both the dead and the living. I think when we come to that place where he is the one Lord, where I am not, that's a big next step that we can encourage in people's lives. You want another big next step? How about this, one faith. This ties into one Lord, but let me tell you something very important. Jesus alone saves. Jesus alone saves. He said it very clearly in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. There's not multiple paths. I'm sorry to break that news to you. And if you want to talk about it after the service, let's do it. But there are not multiple paths. He is the one faith, and nobody gets to heaven except through him. That's the next step that we can talk about. How about one baptism? All the individuals have an identity in this church. All the individuals have an identity in the church at Ephesus. But one thing brought them together. That was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that baptism is a picture of that? It is a picture of us, who we were, being buried underwater and rising again to a new life. We're making that witness known to all of our friends and all of our family. That's why baptism is so important. But there's only one. There's only one. It's not saying that, well, I could do this or I could do No, it is the perfect picture of exactly what Christ did for us. And we want to be followers of his. Another next step. If you haven't been baptized before, let's get you signed up for October 20th. The last one is one God and Father. This body, this family has one dad. One dad. One dad who is fully involved in, in this unit. He's not some absent father that just lets his kids run wild. His authority overall, it says in the verse, is active through all and is present in all, in this unity, in this unit, in this body, in this group of believers. He is in the middle of it all. What we believe here is of utmost importance. The one, the one. When we miss it here, it sends us all off track and truly jacks up the whole system these beliefs are the ones that are going to shape our values. So as we look at that, it's not only going to shape our values, but it's also going to shape how we respond to them. I said last week, too often, we try and fit Jesus into who we want him to be versus fit us into who he wants us to be. We try and, and kind of flip that. And I think that part of the reason for that is something that, that Jerome and I have talked about a lot. Biblical illiteracy is so big in today's even Christian culture. The people just go off of what I say. When I said to read Ephesians chapter 1 through 6 this week, read that book. Don't just take it for what I say. Read it and see what God has to say. See how, what he has to say to you in the middle of all of that. Because that one big next step, man, if we could just be reading the word and be involved in study with others, how much would that change who we are and how we respond? Well, let's get back to that Ephesians 4 passage. In Ephesians chapter 4, Starting in verse 7 now, Paul makes a switch. And he switches from unity to diversity. Unity to diversity. Let me read it for you. He says this, Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to the people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. I just want to take a quick look at this process here. The first thing we need to see is unity in the gospel does not mean uniformity. Unity doesn't mean we all have to be the exact same. Unity shows us that we have been brought in. Let's just go backwards here. God's gift of grace through his son, Jesus Christ, saved us from who we are to make us into who he wants us to be. It's a gift that we did not earn. It's a gift that we not, did not deserve. But in order to experience gospel unity within the body, I believe each person has to, first of all, repent and turn from their sins. They have to accept that gift of grace. Because, see, just participating in church or hanging out with the body doesn't necessarily make you a part of the body. Christ brings us into the body. So if you don't know Christ, that is the first next step you have to take. But as we continue to grow and as we continue to see all these things, that's what he's talking about really in 8 through 10 when he talks about ascended up and descended down and all of the things that he brings together with that. We have to see that because we have this new life, this new life unifies us with other disciples. Though they're not like us, it unifies us with them because we have that one thing in common. That one Christ, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father. We have that thing in common, and then we get to see it kind of come together. Even though we've been given gifts in measure and in type differently, it's because we can't all be, as he talks about even in 1 Corinthians 12, we can't all be thumbs. We can't all be eyes. We can't all be ears because the rest of the body wouldn't be complete. We need the complete body. I mean, go to a, a team mentality. I don't know if you watch football. I don't know if you watch any of the things, but you're, you're not going to have a lineman playing wide receiver because they can't run and they can't catch. That's why they're linemen. And guess what? You're not going to have a wide receiver blocking because every time they try, they get a holding pendulum thrown on them. Every time. Because they have different jobs. They've been gifted to do different things, but they all make up the team with one goal in mind, and that is to win. And our winning is seeing those people take those next steps. And of course, all that leads to the passage that I really wanted to talk about today, and that is starting in verse 11. 11 through 16, it says these words, And he himself gave. Christ is the giver of spiritual gifts. And if you want a comprehensive lift on spiritual gifts, you can look at 1 Corinthians 12, you can look at Romans 12, and you can look at 1 Peter 4. The passage we're going to look at here today is, is a little bit more specific. And some people say, well, this is just for the leaders of the church. And I don't think it's exactly that. I think it's more broad than just leadership of the church. But he does make some very specific things of what he gave uh, uh, for the church and the mission of how we get to the vision. It says this, he gave some to be apostles. That's the sent ones. That's the ones out on mission. Some to be prophets. And sometimes we think of prophets, we think of prophecy, and we think of future telling. But this isn't future telling. This is forth telling. This is the revelation of God's will. And the person who speaks into that. Then it also says some to be evangelists. Now those are the people who are sharing the good news. Some it may come more naturally like a Billy Graham or a Louis Plow, and they have these giant crusades, and some it's just one-on-one. -on -one. See, I see evangelists are the spiritual obstetricians. They're the ones that bring new life into the world. They, they're the ones that, that help the birth take place. And then it says these next group here, it is 
some do pastors and teachers. And some translations say pastors and teachers, and some just say pastor teachers as this one goal. See, if evangelists are the obstetricians, then I believe the pastor teacher is the pediatrician. They're the ones who help care for, who lead, who feed, who provide, who protect for the children of God and help them take those next steps. You know, as I was reading through this passage, I, I was reading some different commentaries, and one of the things it said is these groups of people, oftentimes in the church, are the ones who take the lead. Oftentimes. Not always, but oftentimes they're the ones that take the lead. And, and, and they're there to minister to us, and, and they're there to minister with us, but the one thing it said is that they're not to minister for us because every person that's a part of the church is a minister of the gospel. And it goes on to do what? What's the point of it all? Well, it says these words, and it's a word you'll find in our vision, equipping the saints. Equipping the saints. It's our job to equip the saints to take the next step, to be more like Jesus. And as a matter of fact, let's look what it says in the rest of it. Equipping the saints for what? For ministry. It's our job to equip others for ministry, to encourage them and equip them and, and come alongside them in their next steps. Their next steps. And what's the purpose? To build up the body of Christ until we all reach, there's that word, unity, in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. God's purpose for God's people is Christ-likeness. He wants us to grow up. He needs us to grow up. We need to grow up. We need to mature. We need to become more like Christ. He was telling those at Ephesus who were fighting over the little things, saying, grow up. Remember what this is about. You're becoming more like Christ, not more like your old self. Grow up. Because as we mature, as we mature, we realize it's not about us. Think about a natural child's path in life, or at least what should be a natural child's path in life. You start out as a baby, and as a baby, you were pampered, and you were changed, and you were fed, and then you grow into a toddler, and you're still kind of pampered, and you're fed, and you're changed, and then you start, get out of diapers, and you don't have to be changed anymore, but you're still being provided for, until the point where you're a teenager, and a teenager can kind of feed themselves, because that's what they do at my house. They just open up the pantry and take all my food. And, and, so, and then they're not hungry for dinner. You know, when I am trying to feed them, they've already got their own stuff in their belly. And, and that's kind of the way it works. And then you become an adult. And as you become an adult, generally you become a parent or somebody who's investing in somebody else's life. That is a natural progression. You know one of the things that changes or is supposed to change along the way is when you're a little kid and you're like, that's mine. And you hold on to it and you squeeze it tight and you're not going to let go of it. Then when you become an adult, you're not about yourself anymore. You're about, how can I take care of that next generation? How can I do those things? Well, that should be the same way it is in the church. But far too often, if we're not maturing, we're still going, that's mine. The gift that God gave me, that's mine. The gift that, that, that God wants me to use for the betterment of everybody else, like it says in verse 7 here, I'm like, no, that's mine. But if I mature, I say, it is not mine. This is mine to give. And that's why it says in verse 14, then we'll no longer be little children, tossed by the waves, blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. There are far too many people that call themselves Christian by name, but are not little Christs. They're not truly following. They don't really know him. 
You know, going back to that biblical literacy, how do we get to know God? How do we get to know what he wants? How do we get to know what he wants to see in our life? Well, we read about it. Or we can listen to somebody who may or may not have our best interest in mind, may or may not have their best interest in mind, thinking about, if I can just get them to give a little more, I could have a $7 million mansion or whatever kind of thing along those lines. The reality is it's out there. And people are sucked into it because they don't know any better. Because they've been deceived, like it says here, they never grew up. And they, they've gone down the path of deceit. And they've been deceived into thinking all the different things that aren't part of that one mentality. So what do we do? Speaking the truth in love, verse 15. Speak the truth in love. Didn't do a good job with that last week. already apologized for that. Speaking the truth in love. Tendency to do that. My kids say that about me being a dad. Dad, just be nice when you say it. I'm trying. I'm working on it. God's still working on me. I'm a work in progress, okay? But the thing is, is that the truth still needs to be said. See, just because we love somebody doesn't mean we just accept them for what they're doing and just blow it off as if it's not a big deal, like they're not going to get hurt in the process. Sometimes growth has pains. And, you know, my kids, if they want to touch a hot stove, I'm going to talk to them, hopefully in love, about why we don't do that. When they want to play in the street, I'm going to talk to them about why we don't do that because I don't want them to get hurt. Now, they may not like me for that because they want their thing and I say no. Well, guess what? The same kind of thing happens with, even within the church. Well, I want my thing. But we need to speak the truth in love. And we have to grow up into Christ. Because as we let grow up into Christ, look what it says next. Let us grow into every way into him who is the head, Christ. We have the goal of the church, the individuals who make up the church, it's Christ-likeness. Verse 16, from him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. See, if everyone's doing their part, the picture of the body of Christ is an amazing thing. If everybody's doing their part, it becomes so amazing. We see the mission of the church and an individual being to play itself out, and it, it starts to show itself as Christ. And the, the body of the church is Christ's body. What if we were more like Christ? Humility, service, love, mission. It begin to show itself in all these different ways. One is we'd be able to glorify God, and all we do would no longer be about us. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 1, I just kind of gave you a quick little brief overview, but this is what you'll read this week if you read it. And in verse 11 and 12, it says, In him we've also received an inheritance because we are predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will, so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. That's what it's about. When the church is functioning right, it's going to glorify God and bring praise to His glory. It's also going to show itself as we make disciples in all that we do. Because we're going to be so in tune with what God wants. A disciple is a follower, and it's someone who has attached himself to his leader. Jesus sent the church on a mission. The great commandment, the great commission. That mission was to bring people to Him by making disciples. As the church makes disciples, people will admire and worship and trust and follow Jesus. Those are next steps. And then we'll see them begin to do the same thing. We have a mission to put on display inside the church walls and outside the church walls, the greatness of God. 
The last thing is it shows itself as we equip and build up the saints. That's what Christ did as well, helping people take the next step. Let me read for you the vision and mission for you one more time. By 2025, we want to be a church that engages. We want to be a church that encourages. We want to be a church that equips people, at least 500 people, to take the next steps in their faith journey with Jesus Christ. Passionately connecting people with God, encouraging them in their next steps of faith journey. Can we be this as a church? That is my question for you today. Can we be this as a church body? Can we be one that comes together to make this happen? I believe through the power of the Holy Spirit, the answer is yes. Let's pray for that right now. Father, thank you for who you are. And thank you again for what you do and the way you continue to speak to us and the way you continue to guide us and direct us. And God, we, we see what you want us to do. We see you want us to make disciples. We see you want us to evangelize. We see you want us to minister. We see you want us to, to connect and have fellowship with one another. And you, you want us to worship you with our lives. Romans chapter 12 is very clear when it says you want us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. To give you everything. Because you gave all, we want to give all in return. God, I pray that you speak to us today. I pray this is something that, that we can see you glorified, that you are lifted up. Would you take our lives and begin this process, this molding process into who you want us to be, to equip and to engage and to encourage people to take that next step? And God, we're part of those people. And we can do that together as a church to take that next step. We pray it all in your name. Amen. I'm going to jump down here in the front, and I would love to talk to you about who Jesus is. I'd love to talk about the next step. Maybe it's baptism. Maybe it's salvation. Maybe it's service. Maybe it's just repentance. 